Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Maren's going to come up and read the Bible for us, and I'm going to pray as she comes up. Well, God, we thank you so much that you want a relationship with us, and so you speak to us. We thank you that whenever we open the Bible, uh, we can hear from you, and we pray that you'd cut out all the clutter, all the noise, all the distractions now, and help us to hear from you again, and come away closer to you, and change to be more like Jesus. Amen. All right. Hello, everyone. So there's two readings tonight. The first reading is from Genesis 37, um, verses 1 to 10. So chapter 37 in Genesis, starting from verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The second reading is from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 to 11. So chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. 
and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Thanks heaps, Merrin. We are shaped by our work. So um, we've talked about work matters, how work matters because you get the opportunity to honour God. Last week you heard work matters because it's an opportunity to love others. Um, Today we're going to hear a sort of, it's almost a selfish reason why work matters in some ways because you get to be shaped by God in your work. But the reality is that we are shaped whether we like it or not. And if we're not intentional about it, then sometimes I think we can be shaped negatively by our work. I hope um, tonight I give you some ideas or some encouragement to think how God might shape you positively through your work. And just to be clear, when I I talk about work, um, what is work? Work is a number of different things. Uh, Yes, it's our paid work, but it's also other things as well. It can be our creative work, the creative stuff that we do. Um, Anything we do with intent or purpose is actually work. Uh, It might be the housework that we do. Um, We may be shaped by housework. I'm shaped to learn patience by housework. (laughs) Um, It might be our caring work, whether that's uh, caring for uh, little ones or siblings, caring for um, uh, ageing parents, as is my life stage. Um, If it's caring for a friend, that sort of work, even though it's not paid, is also seen as work by God, I think. Um, And it may be some sort of side hustle that you have, some sort of interest or passion that you have on the side that may or may not turn into something that earns income, but something you put a lot of energy into. Um, Study as well is, of course, a form of work. So think about all that range of things when we talk about work. Have that in your mind, even if um, sometimes my examples are going to likely be um, mostly from the, the paid work realm. Okay, I'm going to give you a question. I've just given you that intro. Um, Just a chance for you to talk amongst yourselves again. How do you think you've been shaped by work? In what ways have you been shaped by work? Do you have a story to tell? Do you think you've been shaped positively? Do you think maybe you've been shaped negatively by any sort of work experience that you've had at home, in the neighbourhood, in the community, in a workplace, at uni, at school? How have you been shaped by work? Go for it for a couple of minutes. Okay, hopefully that's been long enough to share share some stories. 
Do you know what? I think you are almost as good as teachers. Um, my favourite group to speak to is teachers because when I get people to talk amongst themselves, with teachers, when I start talking, they instantly are quiet. And you guys were really close. I'm really impressed. Thanks. <laughs> um, you can carry on those conversations later or if it sort of sparks something, I'm happy. I'd be really interested in hearing some of your stories about that. How have you been shaped by your work? But I want to tell you a story about someone I know who was shaped by her work. Her name's Christine. Uh, Christine, well, whenever I go and speak to crowds, I usually look around, I look for someone who's sort of smiling and engaged. Um, it's David at the back tonight. <laughs> um, and I get a bit of energy from that. Uh, Christine was not that person, can I just say, when I spoke in Singapore. Christine was sitting in the front row and as I was talking, she just had this furrowed brow. She seemed like, you know, everything I said seemed to not connect with her or she disagreed with. I was getting a bit of a complex over it. Um, <laughs> so I was sort of grateful when I finished talking and she walked up to me and, uh, and then she started telling me what was actually happening in her life. And what was happening was she worked for a large financial institution, if I said the name, many of you would recognise the name, in Singapore, in the Singapore branch. And uh, she'd been working there, she, there was an investment product and she suddenly realised that in terms of this investment product that what they were actually communicating to their clients wasn't the full story with this investment product. She was concerned about this so she went to her manager and just said, look, there's a problem here. And he said basically to her, as crudely as this sounds, shut up or get out. And she was like quite taken aback by that. She went back to her desk and she started doing some more investigating. She got together some documentation and a whole load of evidence and then she went to her manager's manager and she said, there are serious problems with this investment product that we're passing on to our clients. They don't realise what's really happening. And her manager's manager basically said the same thing. Shut up or get out. So Christine had uh, a decision to make at that point. What would she do? Would she stay in the organisation or would she leave? Um, she decided she would stay and there were two reasons. The very practical reason was that for some reason, I've never discovered why, her husband doesn't work and so Christine was the sole breadwinner for her husband and son. Um, as well as that, she was from an Asian culture and typically in that culture she was also looking after her own parents and also her husband's parents. So there were three households who depended on her income. So that was a very practical reason why she was reluctant to leave the work. But the other reason was that she prayed about it um, at length and she sensed that God was promising her that justice would come in this situation. And she felt that she would be God's person in that situation praying for justice, basically praying that somehow this organisation would realise that they were doing wrong and the wrong would be righted. So she continued to pray and then suddenly she found out that the Hong Kong office was being investigated and just as she presumed would happen, they discovered that there was a problem with this investment product and actually the equivalent team that she was working with, they all got sacked in Hong Kong. And then she was praying even more fervently because she knew that probably this investigation was going to come to the Singapore office. Everyone in her team was really nervous 
And she was so calm about it because she'd been praying for justice. She sort of expected this to come. That two uh, guys in her team, who she described as atheists, who formerly had mocked her, they actually came to her independently and asked her to pray for them. And they were very nervous about the outcome. Anyway, the investigation did come and finally Christine had the opportunity to be able to show the documentation, show the emails that recorded that she had actually reported it and reveal that actually the organisation higher up knew what was happening and had allowed this to happen. The sad result was that her whole team got sacked and her manager and her manager's manager retained their job. She was really disappointed, you can imagine. I kept in touch with her and she sent me an email. And the first e- in the first email she said, it's been almost 10 months since I was dismissed. And I have to apologise here, English is not Christine's first um, language and you'll pick that up. But, um, and without work and no success with interviews, I have a black mark against the regulatory authorities. What she means by that is that Um, She was actually prevented from getting other jobs in the finance industry. The regulatory authorities um, basically blacklisted her and everyone in her team. The 11 traders in Hong Kong who were dismissed so far, eight of them have found work, so it looks like the regulatory authorities there had no issues with them. But two of the guys are still unemployed and they've been with the firm for 25 to 30 years and the firm refused to give them their life's pension. Their life's pension is basically the equivalent of our superannuation. They've been contributing to it for all their working lives and they were not able to have access to it. In fact, what happened was the firm told them if they intend to collect it, the firm will sue them in the High Court. That's unbelievable, isn't it? It is just playing ridiculous and bullying. So for me, this case is not just about me, but the silent and scared voices who are too scared or afraid to speak up. So the court case she's talking about, she decided to take her employer to court for unfair dismissal. Um, And that's the court case she's talking about. However, it was a really tough time, as she revealed in other emails. So she said to me, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever stepped out in faith, knowing without a doubt that he had called you to do something, obey him, even risk everything, and yet God doesn't come through? I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that at work or any other context. I really wrestled with that. I thought I had obeyed the Lord and acted upon his commands for me, yet God didn't come through. I staked my reputation on his word and he failed me. You can hear how how low she's feeling at this point. But she continued in that email. She said, then perhaps we start to think, maybe my faith wasn't strong enough or I didn't pray hard enough or I misinterpreted his word. I wonder if you felt like that, that maybe if you'd prayed more, maybe if you'd read his word differently or every day or something, then something else would have been the outcome. So what do you do now even? For me, I can only still cling on to his words. Isaiah 55, 8-9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's actually pretty incredible faith there, isn't it, to lean on those verses. Those verses talk about the sovereignty of God, the mystery of God, that sometimes we may not know why things happen. It showed quite a bit of maturity there. But the next words that she wrote, I'd sort of been writing encouragement and so on to her, but she floored me with this. And when I cannot understand, I must trust that he is still in control 
for we know that he will use everything for his glory and our good. While the disappointments we experience are not necessarily God's will for our lives, nothing can touch us without his permission, just like in the book of Job. And some of you will know that story in the Bible. If he allows it, it will be for some greater purpose and for his kingdom glory. Can I just say that the difference between the Christine I had seen in the front row when I was speaking and the Christine who wrote these words was really significant gone from someone who, who was scared and unsure of the way forward over a couple of years to someone who, even though the hits kept coming for, at her, she had this sort of groundedness and this deep faith in God no matter what. That even though she might continue to be disappointed, that somehow God would get the glory and somehow it would work out in some way for her. I saw that she had been amazingly shaped by her workplace. Eugene Peterson is a theologian and a pastor and he said these words, I'm prepared to contend that the primary location for spiritual formation is the workplace. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Isn't the primary location for spiritual formation church? Isn't the primary location for spiritual formation a retreat or going on a mission trip? But Eugene Peterson, he, remember, he's not just a theologian, he's a pastor of the church and he saw in his congregation members that the primary location for spiritual formation is the workplace. And if you think about it a bit more, it does make sense. Our work is a place of spiritual formation because it's where our character gets tested and shaped. You're suddenly thrown into things like Christine was where you don't expect this stuff to happen, but it's a great test of your character, your integrity and so on. It's where our spiritual foundations have to be firm because if they're not firm, we will be tossed about. It's where we can experience God's transformational power. Now that sounds a bit highfalutin, but let me tell you, sometimes God acts in ways that you just don't expect um, a few years ago, uh, I had the great uh, opportunity of meeting up with Mark Green, from, who used to be the head of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And he told me this story, the story about uh, when he'd been working as an advertising executive. That alone really surprised me because Mark Green is sort of like this pretty dorky looking guy with glasses. And I was like, advertising executive in New York? He told me, amazing. Anyway, he was telling me that one time he was asking a work colleague, um, you know, how are you going? Just that question we ask. And the work colleague said, but actually, I'm not going well. And he said, oh, what's wrong? And she told him that she had this quite serious um, sickness that she was dealing with. And he said, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, yes, please. And he was thinking to himself, okay, you know, I'll pray for her. And then he realised she was standing there with her eyes closed. (laughs) She was thinking, right now. And he thought, okay, okay, I better pray for her. So he prayed and he prayed for her and he prayed that God might heal her, that her sickness might go away, that she might be completely healed. And then something really strange happened. God actually answered the prayer. I don't think anyone was more surprised than Mark. (laughs) Um, The person he prayed for, who wasn't a Christian, was actually amazed but quite accepting of it. You know, this guy prayed for me and then I'm healed. She was instantly healed on the spot. Mark was completely shocked. (laughs) He had prayed words. I mean, he'd met them. 
but he hadn't actually really thought that God might come through. He experienced God's transformational power in that instant. Now, I prayed for a lot of people to get healed. It doesn't always happen like that, um, of course, but sometimes it does. And I think sometimes it's it's just that we don't expect God to be there in the workplace. We don't expect him to act. But I've seen other acts of transformational power happen in the workplace. I've heard other stories where God has just shown up in a really significant way and it's been quite amazing. And I think we just need to expect him to be there more often. Um, and it's where God's kingdom can be established. And what I mean by that is just signs of God's kingdom. Sometimes they might be big signs. Sometimes they might be little signs. So um, one thing I challenge people to do is just to bring a little bit of beauty into your workplace, wherever that workplace is. Um, so I get photos sometimes from people who send me photos of the way they've beautified their workplaces. Um, one time there was this, this girl and she was just starting out in her career. Um, she didn't have an office. She didn't even have a cubicle. She had a desk in the corridor. <laughs> and, uh, she sent me this photo of what she'd done. She put this big wall hanging up on the wall with beautiful colours and everything. She told me that it had really impacted on the people in the office. She said, people keep coming by and they stop and they talk to me. Before that, it was almost like she hadn't existed. They just walked by. But people stopped and sometimes they would refer to the wall hanging but she just realised there was heaps more interaction she was having with her work colleagues. It's just a little bit but I think God's kingdom is beautiful and just to show a little sign of that kingdom is helpful. I've had other people have had more agency who've been able to do more significant things in seeking to establish some of God's kingdom uh, by impacting on the culture of their workplace um, or as leaders of, the team, of their teams. I think there's opportunities for spiritual formation to happen in the workplace. And really it shouldn't surprise us because the Bible is full of workplaces and shows us how people are actually transformed through their work experiences. So the example I'm going to give tonight is obvious from the readings. It's the example of Joseph. Some of you will be familiar with the story. What we had tonight was the beginning and then, spoiler alert, the end. Uh, there's quite a bit that happens in between, but I'll go through that pretty quickly now. You see, Joseph was a guy who was one of those really annoying siblings. Maybe you have one of those. I have, my older brother. He is, <laughs> he is the favoured one, okay? My sister and I have come to terms with this. We don't expect anything else anymore. He can do nothing wrong. We're always being compared to him. Joseph was that guy. He had 11 brothers his dad just favoured him no end. He even gave him this um, ornate coat. Perhaps you've seen the musical uh, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat that talks about that. But Joseph paraded around in this ornate robe um, and he, he sort of showed off. He had these dreams. Now, if you have a dream in which all your family members bow down to you, my hint is don't tell them. <laughs> just write it down somewhere put the date and then bring it out when it actually happens but no Joseph went ahead and told them in fact he had two dreams the first one just his brothers bowed down the second one his whole family bowed down even at that point his father you know he was a favoured one but his father said you know this is going a bit far Joseph come on but did note it well it caused so much jealousy amongst his brothers that they decided that they would kill him don't do that. Um, <laughs> but 
But they did. They took him away. They, they threw him down this big hole. They were going to leave him to die. But then they saw this caravan coming past and they thought, mm, better idea, we can make money from this. So they sold him into slavery. Joseph, the favoured one, suddenly is in slavery. However, it says in the text that God, God was with Joseph. God showed him favour. Joseph went to work in Egypt, another country in Egypt for Potiphar um, and he worked so well and so diligently that his work, he worked his way up until he was in charge of the whole of Potiphar's um, household, going really well, fantastic. Maybe that humiliating experience has taught him something. But then something else happened in that workplace and it involved Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife uh, it tells us that Joseph was very handsome and strong, Potiphar's wife suggested that they could get together. Uh, Joseph, to his credit, showed integrity. He said no. But isn't it true that our workplaces are full of temptations? Temptations to be ambitious, temptations to be greedy, temptations, even sexual temptations sometimes, as in this case. Joseph said no, he refused it. So Potiphar's wife, who wasn't used to being rebuffed by a slave, decided to spread the story around that Joseph had been the one who had actually approached her. Potiphar was absolutely outraged by this. So then he threw Joseph into prison. So Joseph has gone on this amazing journey from being the favoured one to being a slave and now being in prison. How low could he go? Well, even in prison, it says, God showed favour to Joseph. And Joseph eventually got to be trusted by the head jailer with a whole load of responsibilities because he obviously had a lot of great skills. Through various circumstances, it ended up that Joseph appeared before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You see, what had happened was Pharaoh had had this dream and he couldn't work out what the dream meant and he invited in all the wise people to tell him what the dream meant. None of the Egyptian wise people could tell him what the dream meant. And then someone who had actually been with Joseph in jail remembered that there was this guy down there who was able to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh called Joseph in and said to him, you'll have to interpret my dream. But Joseph told him, I can't do that. He said, only God can do that. But God may, you tell me my dream and God may reveal it to you. So Pharaoh told him the dream of something about seven fat cows and then seven thin cows. Uh, Joseph was able, the, the reality of the dream was revealed to Joseph and he was able to tell the Pharaoh that they were going to have seven bumper years in Egypt and then there were going to be seven years of famine. And basically Joseph said to the Pharaoh, what you need to do is work out how you can keep some of that grain from the good years uh, for the years that will cover you in the years of famine. And he said, if you do that, Egypt will become a great country for all the countries around because everyone's going to be impacted by this famine. Well, Pharaoh decided Joseph was that man. So Joseph went from being the favoured son to a slave to prison and then he becomes basically the prime minister of all of Egypt. And of course the story goes on that uh, he's approached by his brothers who don't recognise him at all. He would look pretty different by then, I imagine. And uh, what has happened is there's been a famine in Israel and so their father, Jacob, has sent the brothers to Egypt where they've heard that they've got amazing abundance of food there. So they approach Joseph and they ask for some grain. And it's at that point eventually that Joseph reveals himself to them. 
and says to them, you know what? Don't be scared. God has actually used this. You heard it before, but I'll read out again. Genesis 45, verses 4 to 7. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Some of you will recognise that phrase, a remnant on earth, and remember how that plays out in the rest of the Old Testament, that God saves a remnant of his people. And those words are great deliverance. We go on to see great deliverances with the Exodus and then, of course, the ultimate deliverance with Jesus. There are great themes here. Right at the end of Genesis, Joseph says, you, you, what you did to me, you did for evil, but God turned it to good. Can you see how Joseph was shaped by his workplace? We can see that his character was tested there, wasn't it? It was tested in many ways, not least by Potiphar's wife. And he has been shaped. We move from the cocky young man right at the beginning of the story to someone who's been humbled, uh, who's learnt so much, has so many skills and so on. His spiritual foundations remained firm all the way through in the text. It says God was with him and God showed him favour. It's where Joseph experienced God's transformational power. Again and again his fortunes were turned around and it's where God's kingdom can be established. In the end, the people in Israel, their whole family line, might have died out because of the famine, but instead of that they're brought to Egypt and they're able to be saved. God's kingdom is established in Egypt. It's an amazing way that God has actually used various workplaces in Joseph's life to turn him around. Your workplace can be a place of spiritual formation for you, whether it's at home, whether it's in the neighbourhood, whether it's in the community, whether it's at school, whether it's at uni, whether it's an actual workplace, you can be shaped. And what are we being shaped into? Well, we're being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. That's what God wants to do with us. That might be hard to imagine if you've got a sort of stained glass view of Jesus, but actually you've got to remember that Jesus was a human being. (laughs) He came to earth and of course he worked. He was a tecton, he was a carpenter builder, he was a speaker, he was a teacher. He was a worker. And those first 30 years of working that we don't hear much about They're the food of all the parables, the stories that he tells. So many of those stories are set in different workplaces. We are to be shaped more like Jesus. Let me go back to Christine and to tell you just a bit more about her story. You remember her words, and when I cannot understand, I must trust that he is still in control, for we know that he will use everything for his glory and for our good. Well, I'm sure you're waiting for the happy ending. It's not completely a happy ending. I got in touch with Christine and asked for an update and she told me that she lost that court case. She lost the court case because there were no other of her work colleagues who were willing to stand up and support her in the charges against the organisation. But in spite of that, she said these words, Anyway, in order to win, I had to lose. 
I may have lost my court case, but what I gained was my spiritual maturity and a deeper walk and relationship with the Lord, as my growth with him is off the charts. And she's an accountant, so that means a lot. (laughs) And never have I journaled or prayed so fervently in my life. And just this week, I wrote to her again, told her, I'm telling your story again, Christine. I said, what's the latest? Well, she told me this week um, that she has been completely exonerated in terms of the regulatory authorities, which is fantastic news for her. But let me tell you, it's still been really hard and it's no like lovely, neat ending. Someone apparently this morning asked, and so she got a better paying job now. (laughs) Sort of like Job, she's been blessed even more. That has not been her story. But I think the more important thing is that her maturity in Christ is so much richer and deeper. She's been shaped by God through her work. And I think in some ways she would say she doesn't mind if she, does, if, if she went back, if it all happened again, she'd be okay with that. Because what is more rich to her is her relationship with Christ. It reminds me of Ephesians 4, which tells us this. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. For some of you, that sounds exactly like your workplace. (laughs) Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, when we go into the different places on a Monday through to Saturday, we are the church scattered. And we go through these experiences where we are being shaped. And if we're working with God, we're actually being shaped to become more like Jesus. And then we come together like we are right now, together on a Sunday, gathered as the people of God, the body of Christ. And this is the way the church can be built up and made more mature. So my challenge to you, Sometimes when we have bad things happen to us, whatever our primary location of work is, we're tempted to whine or whinge or just complain. My challenge to you is to just think about it this week and think, how is God shaping me? How is God shaping me through that very annoying work colleague? (laughs) How is God shaping me, as I heard this morning, by a managing director who is just horrible? (laughs) How is God shaping me through that deadline that seems impossible? How is God shaping me by starting a new job and seeing what will unfold there? How is he shaping me more like Jesus? I challenge you to ask that question this week. Okay, let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I thank you that you show yourself faithful even when things are hard, when we face disappointments. I do pray for Christine, Lord, our Christian sister there in Singapore, that you will continue to support her and honour her as she has honoured you. I pray, Lord, you continue to supply her needs for her, her parents and her husband's parents. I thank you, Lord, that her story of courage, of standing up, is a story that not only led to her greater maturity, but has also been the means of encouraging us here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see how you are shaping us to be more like Jesus in the experiences that we have at work. I pray that you would open our eyes 
that you would strengthen our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as we come together as the body of Christ, you would use all the different things that we've learned so that we can encourage each other as well. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.